What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Glenn. Hey, Pat. New year. New year. New ads. (laughs) (laughs) It's time for new ads. It is time for new ads. We've had a wonderful year of sponsorship by our four wonderful people that carried us throughout the year. Truly, the sponsorship that comes from these guys, Jason Furman, Einzer Wiener Dog Quip. <laughs> Jason was the first person to reach out, like episode one. Hey, I want to sponsor the show. We're yep. like, fuck off, mate. Then <laughs> <laughs> several months later, we're like, uh, we could do some of that money now, yep. Jason. So we apologize. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thank mm. you so much. Mm. But truly, where I get all my dog-related items mm-hmm. is Einswick Dog Quip. And amazing hoodies. Yeah. No, I do have a really good hoodie from Jason. Yeah, I've got a great hoodie from Jason yeah. as well. But I continue to get all my stuff. When I need dog training gear, Jason's my first point of call. Yep. I just bought a meal off him again. for Another meal? Yeah, for my sister. Yep. I'm going to do some little meal content. He is incredibly generous and very supportive to the industry. He is. And doing amazing work on his weight loss as well. So go, Jason. His problem, though, is doesn't ship to the US. Oh, what an absolute turd burglar. Step in. Mac Point. Mac Point. Oh, are you talking Mark with a C? Carc Point. <laughs> Canine Dynamics. Yes. He's in Canada. Yep. But he's, well, he does service the whole world, but just stay out of Jason Territory, fucking Mark Point. North America. Who do you reckon would win between them? Mark's a cop. He has a gun. Yep. Jason has guns. Yep. I don't know. It'd be an interesting battle. If we can organise it. Let's do an MMA match between Carc Point and <laughs> Furman. <laughs> Not really. Love them both. So if you're in North America and you want some dog gear, yep. Canon Dynamics, that's a place to get it. Yes, absolutely. Great range, really good website, very intuitive. It makes life so easy to order product. Yep. You know who else has been supporting the show for a long, long time? That would have to be the lady herself from Ashland, Virginia. Melanie the, the train town. Yes, Melanie Benware. Yep. She does these little home school things. Yeah. And I think the reason that our listeners should be getting in contact with her is because they know someone mm. in Ashland, Virginia, that needs their dog homeschooled, or they want to learn about that kind of program themselves, and they, as a trainer, could book a session to get some time with Melanie Benware. And she's been busier than ever, which is great. Yeah. Hopefully, she's got some transactions from the canine paradigm. Yes, hopefully. Mm. You know where you could get a killer Dutch Shepherd or German Shepherd? That would have to be the wonderful people, Patrick and Alicia Lockett from House Amberg. One and the same. Yep. That's them. If I were in Europe, and Europe's the place to get the dogs. Yep. If I were in Germany, that's where I'd go. But mm. the good news is you don't have to be in Germany. They can ship all over the world. All over the world. Mm. You want yourself a sweet-ass Dutchie? Yep. Talk to them. Or a German Shepherd. I don't know why you'd want a German Shepherd, but if you do. Oh, <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. The best ones around will come from them. That's a sponsor killer in itself. (laughs) No, really, those guys have supported the show for a long time. Jason from the start, Mark, Mel, and Patrick and Alicia at House Amberg, Shepherds. We really appreciate you guys supporting the show. And good quality people as well, good quality products. Moving forward on that, we only take those sponsorships from those guys because 
we know them, we trust them, we believe in them. Yep. Going forward into 2022, we know that some of you fucking fast forward these ads. Oof. Not everybody listens to the ads. Absolute disgusting. So we're thinking, we're not, nothing's set in stone, but we're thinking about changing the structure of the ads at the front to yep. give our sponsors better value and maybe just reading one each time and mm-hmm. then bringing more people into the rotation if that's something people are interested in doing. Yes. So stand by for information on that. So if you do want to be a 2022 sponsor and you're happy to continue with us, let us know. We'll be canvassing that shortly. But for those of you who have been supporting us, just like our wonderful listeners, we just want to thank you very, very much. Really appreciate everything you've contributed. All right. We love you. (laughs) We do. Bye. Goodbye. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. Nice to be back. We are. Mm. Saturday morning. Yep. And no planes flying overhead. Yep. No planes, no dropping out internet, no guy mowing the lawns. (laughs) All the usual challenges we face are not here. Do you remember that time that Jay was here and Ben was mowing at the same time? And that was actually quite funny. Like I've listened to that episode a lot of times and it still makes me laugh especially Jay's big wheezy long laugh. Like yeah. it was quite funny. Yeah. yeah. Well, we were sitting around for 20 minutes. Yeah. It had to be at least 20 minutes waiting for Ben to stop mowing. Yeah. And then me and Jay both were like, don't worry about it, Glenn. It makes no fucking difference. We eventually give you, <laughs> <laughs> eventually you start and Jay just goes, what? I can't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't hear you over the sound of that guy mowing the lawn. We'll have to do a catch up with Jay. I know. So I, know. I haven't spoken time. to him in ages. Yeah. We'll have to see what he's doing and how he's going. Uh, last time I spoke to him was on Clubhouse. He even said then, he goes, oh man, I still love your podcast with Pat. He said, it's one of my favorite go-tos. Yeah. It's quite a compliment. I was really. Yeah. You know, he's one of the people, like all the, that's one of the issues with this, you know, even though we're connected, we're not, you know, like you see people, you engage with them, but I haven't had like a you know proper conversation with the guy in a long time. You yeah. know what I mean? And it's the same with so many people all around the world that you would intermittently see, you know, every six months, year, whatever, and you could have a real conversation. But now it just, you know, everybody's kind of drifting apart. You flick each other a meme here and there just to kind of, you know, hey, remember me? But like you just kind of drift apart from people. And there's, you know, there's so many dozens of people in that same boat that, Hopefully soon we can all get back to some level of normality or whatever new life is going to be. Who knows? It has changed, hasn't it? I mean, the landscape has certainly changed when you think about how close we all were. And we're still close, but as you said, there is a drift. Yeah. You can see that seasonal drift taking on, well, it's unseasonal because it's really forced upon us by COVID that we can't physically see each other. Dave, one of the people that owns Pet Resorts with Maria, He's very much a a face-to-face person. He loves face-to-face meetings. There's often been times where I've said, let's just do a Zoom with people. It's the same. And Dave goes, mate, it's not. You know, he's very old school about things like that. Old school about having conversations. He'd prefer to have in-the-room conversation with you over an email. He just says, I find the emotional inflection of sitting down, looking at somebody. For me, my argument was, well, you're not touching each other. I agree with him. And it's only now through this whole pandemic thing that we haven't actually been able to sit in a room. And I think the word that I said in last week's episode is fellowship. Mm. I think the fellowship of not being together 
in person and I think there's something to be said about being in the room with people and I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to overuse this word but the vibe. Mm. I think vibrations of humans sitting together and I think this is why for a millennia people have sat around campfires and yeah. told stories and you know like interpret through dance and all sorts of things not to say that we would do those sort of things. Maybe we should start a dance version of the podcast. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to do fireside for so long, but yeah. I mean, just can you even conceptualize like you and I had this great concept, which was the canine paradigm fireside, which is going to be our video edition yeah. that we'd planned and planned and planned. Then we had fucking fires. Yeah. We had the pandemic. Yeah. We had floods. We had like, it's nonstop rain. Like yeah. this whole Christmas here in New South Wales, we just got off the fire fucking thing. Yeah. That burnt half of New South Wales down. Yeah. Then we got straight into the pandemic, straight after the fires. Yeah. And it's not flooding. Well, it is flooding in certain parts of Australia, but the rain has literally not stopped for about six weeks. Yeah. And it's just constantly raining. Like this, it, Today is a little bit of sunshine out. And it's like, oh, my God, it's like a, a yeah. complete transformation. Yeah. And all this time we built that little outdoor setting. <laughs> we built an outdoor set that we've never used. Well, we did once. We did we, we did once for a promo. We yeah. set it out there and we never we never put out. It's fucking insane what yeah. happened in that two and a half year period. Yeah. Things changed so dramatically. And yeah, get, getting back to that main point of fellowship with people. It did change. Yeah. I noticed the change. I noticed the drift between people. I thought the friendliness out of friendships had weakened. Yeah. It softened. It didn't go away. It just softened. And you're right. There's people like Chad Macken. I think I send him a meme probably two or three times a week. You know, same with Josh Moran and mm. and Justin Hall over in Atlanta. There's a bunch of people that, and we occasionally chat with each other in between memes, but it's not the same. Yeah. Like when you're actually with each other in the room and and then you've flown back to Australia, like there's pretty strong conversations happening. Yeah. I know we had something to talk about. We can probably spin into that, but you've triggered me to think about, I'm not a good messenger with people. Like I'm very, like, I don't like starting and carrying a conversation through messages. In the past I have, but I've got two kids and dogs and a bunch of stuff going on and I don't like being in my phone all the time, right? So a couple of years ago, sort of, it was pre-pandemic, so it's kind of kicked me in the dick a little bit because with the pandemic, it would be better if I didn't change to be this way. But I really decided to sort of dedicate myself to being with who I'm with, Mm. right? And when I'm with people face to face, like you, it's a, you got a hundred percent of my attention Uh, and I really try hard not to, you know, I think it's rude. Like uh, it's respect what you're talking about. Yeah. But I mean, it like maintaining that strong connection with people, I think is vital to like strong relationships and good communication. And this is going to become about dogs in a second. So bear with me. But you know, when your phone goes off in your pocket and you interrupt the conversation not knowing who's messaged you yet, right? Like you get, oh, I got a message. I have to interrupt this conversation and then pull out my phone. What you're communicating to that other person that you're talking to right there and then is like you're less important than the prospect of someone else because I don't even know who that is yet. All I know is I heard the thing, I felt the vibration, and the pot- this could potentially be someone more interesting or more important than you. Mm. So it's really, it's a it's rude, right? And the issue is, you know, with kids and businesses and stuff like that, like you need to be contactable. 
And that's one of the reasons why I got the Apple Watch. And, and I found that to be really handy because I can sort of like, is this someone that is more important than you? Because no matter who I'm talking to, there is. Because unless you're my wife and kids, there is someone more important than you, right? Mm. Like, so I need to be able to say, you know, like, is there an emergency? Is there something going on? I'm not going to read the text, but I just need to see who it's from because it could potentially be more important than you. And so I've got better connection going that way. Like I need to be contacted for emergencies. But as a result, it means, you know, I'm terrible at messaging people and, you know, cause I'm busy doing the stuff that I'm doing. It's rare that I ever have time to just be back and forth with someone. And it's never a strong connection anyway, because you're, you are doing other stuff. Mm. It's rare that, you know, you're nothing but looking at your phone, watching them type while the little bubbles are floating, you know, waiting for the next message to come in. So the connection isn't as good, but the reason I think that's relevant to dogs I see a lot of people where I train. So there's a few people who have randomly followed me on Instagram from when I was you know, in lockdown making all those reels and I was often tagging the location I was in, right? So it's, you know, it's good for engagement and, you know, search and all that kind of shit, right? Mm. Wherever you made the reel, I would tag the park that I was in and then people would find me that way. But then there are people who aren't necessarily super into dog training or would follow me for dog training stuff beyond they found me because it's the same park they tagged their dog at and then they found me that way. Mm. So now I see those people around, right? And they want to talk to me about dog training and stuff like that because I see them in the park. And I'm, I'm sometimes pretty rude to them because I don't want to be rude to my dog. So one of the things that we often- Well, you set time. Yeah. You know, like you've given a, a dedication of time. There's no point of- walking to the park, getting ready and establishing everything only to monopolize that with somebody else to have a conversation. Yeah. So, you know, in dog training and especially when did it hit its peak? Probably five or six years ago was this term engagement really was everywhere. Yeah. Remember that was, that was all that mattered. Engagement was the only thing that mattered. Yeah. And I think that we kind of looked the wrong way with engagement a little bit because certainly some of the education around it was very, in the training session focused mm-hmm. and it's like the dog looks at you, you reinforce and you build that engagement. Right. And I think a lot of the formal training around that resulted in quite a lot of sooky, very inwardly focused dogs because people were in their attempts to build engagement. And certainly I did this, right? So like, I'm not saying like, if you did this, you're a moron because I did it with a couple of puppies mm. in that when we got into this obsession with the dog looking at us and you reinforce that, you're not really building engagement. You're reinforcing Sookie looking at you, right? Mm. And engagement, I think, is so much more than just a dog looking at you. It's the dog being with you, but you being with the dog. And I see in some sessions, and that's why I'm often quite rude to people, is when I'm training, I'm with my dog, right? And when someone wants to sort of interrupt, for the most part, we think I can interrupt this session because it's a dog. And most people look at, say, Remy, when I'm training him, like that average Jono, who's not a dog person beyond owns a dog and walks their dog and sees me training him, right? Mm. They're blown away by my training. I'm To them, I'm the fucking the most amazing trainer on the planet because I've my dog can sit when I tell him to, right? Yeah. <laughs> so the assumption is that he will do those things because I'm telling him to. And I'm the boss and he's the dog and he'll just do what he's told. And people want to then say, get him to do this, get him to do this. Or they want to have a conversation with me about how did you teach this kind of stuff? And for the most part, I'm happy to have that conversation. Like really, I'm happy to have it, but not now, Mm. not because me and him are engaged. And I think that that idea of the engagement being the dog looks at you and you pay him, you're just reinforcing behavior in order to train that 
you need engagement, right? So I think that we kind of, for the a lot of the time in dog training, we kind of went to an extra, what we thought was engagement was using engagement to teach a behavior. Interesting. And the behavior that I think many people taught, and certainly I did to a couple of dogs, was look at me like a sooky little lala and beg for food. In a nutshell, what you're saying is that we were rewarding the external and not giving much thought to the internal. Say that again. Maybe it was the other way around, I think. You're rewarding the external, like what the dog, what you can see on the outside and not showing much consideration to what the dog's feeling on the inside. Yeah, probably. Mm. And so I think in building engagement, we're reinforcing just the behavior of look at me and then you get these dogs. And for pet dogs, it's probably a great thing to do that they never look anywhere but look at you. Mm. But- you know, especially in a dog that you want to train to do stuff that can create such an inwardly focused dog that it's very hard to convince them to go out and do something else because yeah. they're like, you know, especially when you do this with puppies, you get an eight week old puppy and you just want to like, he looks at you, click and pay. And that's how a lot of people load the clicker, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people the the puppy stares at them, they click, they give it the food. And so like for me and the way that I want to train later on, that's fraught with peril yeah. because now I'm teaching the dog, just look at me. That's all I need from you. You'll hear the click, which you'll like, do nothing, and I will bring the food into you. So in doing that, we're really flattening a dog out. And it's it's not the kind of flattening like it's flattening as in there's no reason to get excited. There's nothing cool that's going to happen, right? We're mm. just like, I need you to stay here chilled and just stare at me. And for, yeah, for a lot of do- pet dog stuff, that's great. And that's how we do sort of flatten a dog out via just positive reinforcement. Just very boring, very predictable. You look at me, I click, you stay right where you are. I bring it over to you. I put it in your face and I can give you your whole day's calories. I can give you a hundred kibbles that way in a hundred clicks. It really flattens a dog out. And is it engagement? It is, but I don't, think that it's a useful type of engagement. I think that engagement really is that the dog is a willing participant in the session and wants what you have and wants to engage with you. And is enthusiastic about it. Yeah, totally. But I think that what we may be left out of the conversation a little bit five or six years ago when it was the big buzz and it was all about getting the dog to look at you was that you have to be engaged with the dog. Mm. And one of the ways I, I sort of if I'm training my dog and Remy's a good example of this, right? Sometimes I have to be on my phone at certain times, right? Like I have to take a call, whatever. Right. And if I'm training him, unfortunately my own dogs get a lot of my spare time, not dedicated time because Mm. I've got a lot of stuff going on. And that's one of the places where I can, you know, cut away when I have time for them, they get it, but I don't have to always be able to dedicate time to them, especially since they're both adult dogs and know most of the things they're going to need to know. So if mid session, if I throw the ball and while he's out getting it, he turns around and sees me with my phone in my hand, he doesn't bring the ball back. Mm. He's like, fuck you, it's over, right? It's a strong negative punishment to him mm. where he's like, you putting your hand in your pocket, pulling out your phone and looking at it is the marker for the severing of the line of engagement that we have with each other because yep. you, I'm no longer your priority. I'm not coming back to you because there's no point. I've got the ball. I'm going to go over there and chew it by myself because you've taken away our link together, the engagement that we have together. And I think sometimes for training, that might be a more important thing to focus on when we want to talk about engagement is not just keeping the dog engaged with you, but you staying engaged with the dog. Mm. That's something for sure that when people, especially when you're being coached or you're learning in the moment, or if you're trying something new and you're reviewing footage of yourself or whatever, anytime that you break that connection with the dog, you're kind of showing the dog like it's okay to do this, right? At any minute, 
I could just stop paying attention to you and go and pay attention to someone else. I could talk to them, whatever. And then we get upset where the dog does it to us. Right. And it's the Mm. exact same thing. The dog's like, no, there's something more interesting here. I'm going to take that because at any minute you could also do the same. There's a person over there that you could at any minute go and talk to and just cut your tie with me. So I smell some piss over here. I'm going to go smell that because I'm going to get in before you get me. Right. And I think that's one of the really tricky things. That's why when I'm, I talk about when I'm out training in public and people want to talk to me about dog training, I'm often quite rude in that I like, hey, let me talk to you about that in five minutes when I'm done here. And then you will have my full attention. But right now, I will not give you precedence over my dog. I will not give you priority for my attention over my dog. Mm. Not just because I do like him more than I like you because I don't, I don't know you yet, right? But mostly because I can't do that to him. That's unfair. That's mm. unfair and unkind to do to him. But also I'm showing him that checking out mid-session is okay, right? And I don't want him to – I'm not going to demonstrate that to him and then have him do the same. And it becomes especially difficult when we're coaching or being coached, right, where you got to try and – like you know, I try and give feedback during the reinforcement. So I say to people like, yep, that's great. Mark, give him the ball. And while they're playing, we try and have a conversation then because we can kind of – the dog is probably playing with the person through the toy. And so long as we keep the toy going the way that it should, they can listen, they can maybe talk to someone else and stay engaged in that game. It's when people say like, okay, here's the reinforcer to the dog. And then they completely stop and turn and leave the dog with the ball or they're having eaten the food and check out from the dog and look at the person who's coaching them. And we have a conversation about feedback then. That's when it gets really, I think, unfair and tricky on the dog because the dog's like, you check out whenever you feel like it. And he can't understand that that's the end of the rep and you're getting feedback on how it went and that it's in his interest for you to do that because it's going to make you a better trainer and make you better with him in the future. Mm. But he just sees you go like randomly after repetitions, just turn your back on him and ignore him, which is a strong negative punishment. You're removing the session in that moment and turn and engage with someone else. And then when he does the same, we're like, oh, fuck you. Mm. (laughs) Come back into the session with me. Mm. You really had me uh, thinking along with that entire conversation and for something that you just completely riffed out of the air. (laughs) There's a lot in that. There's a lot to unpack there. (laughs) I can't even remember how we got to that, but I think it is something, and I triggered myself just to think of something else just then as well, in that while engagement is super important and maintaining it within the session, but in my opinion, it's staying engaged. It doesn't mean looking at each other. It means training together, Mm. right? I think- One of the things as well, like to help with that, something I've come to get better at over the last probably two or three years is not playing for the dog, like the reinforcement section of the training, not doing it for the dog, but with the dog, like Mm. actually trying to play a game, like instead of it being fairly false and me doing things with an ulterior motive of like making sure the dog enjoys it, you know, like, especially if I'm playing tug or something like that, I need that to go a particular way. I need to make sure that you bite the tug in the right spot. I can't have you biting the handles. I've got to make sure that you, if you're going to be a biting dog, I've got to make sure that you don't learn to rattle the tug and pull it out of my hands. Are you going to start doing that in the grip? You know, that kind of shit. So when I'm doing that and if I'm playing that with the dog, I'm thinking about all those other things to making sure that it goes the way I want means that my reinforcement, my play with the dog is for the dog, right? And what I'm getting better at is doing it with the dog, like actually playing. And I think that brings way more engagement than reinforcing when the dog looks at you, no matter what the reinforcer is, mm. but being a part of the reinforcement, like an actually reading the dog and being, you know, whether it's food or toys or the ball that you're going to throw, whatever it is, 
the way that you're going to reinforce the dog, doing it with them and like reading the dog. That's why I don't teach play so much because it's it's hard and it's difficult every it, it's different every time. Like mm. every dog is different. Yes. And the first few minutes of when I start with any dog, I don't ask them to do anything. No matter how highly trained they are already, if someone's else's dog, they could know a bunch of stuff. They could know nothing. That first sort of five minutes, I got to feel them out and see what do you like. You know, especially if I'm going to play tug with a dog, it's super important to me that the dog win the first round of tug, so that then when the dog does like. What the dog does when I simulate the tug being pulled out of my hand will drive the way that we play for the foreseeable future because that dog's going to tell me right now what does winning look like, right? And then I will then replicate the same when I win. And mm. I'll be like, I'll do the same that you did to me because you recognize that as what a winner does in the in the game. So you got to kind of fill the dog out so that you can play with the dog and play the game the dog wants to play and really play it rather than just – do the things that you've seen someone else do or heard someone else say that you should do or, you know, you did for the last dog, you know? Yeah, um, very much. I'm a complete advocate for that. As you were chatting about that entire session, I it had me thinking about the latest book that I'm reading, oh yeah, which was, I think, a recommendation from Casey, which is Surrounded by Idiots. Oh, yeah. And primarily, I'm only a part of the way through the book, so I'll reserve my right of the conclusion of it at the end of it. But interesting concept. So the author, who's eluded me right now, he and his father were very much into profiling people, Mm -hmm. you know, like categorizing who people are. And so they basically got it. uh, It's it's kind of like a psychological evaluation of the type of personality that you fit in. Mm -hmm. They categorize them by color, green, red, yellow, and blue. So, you know, and they talk about, which is fundamentally true. Like there's certain people who are, you know, like yourself, who once you get onto something, you need to see it through, where there's other people who like to overanalyze things Mm -hmm. and never really get started because they don't believe that the work is up to a standard yet. Like Narelle can be like that. Narelle finds it hard to actually pull the trigger on things sometimes because it's never good enough. Mm. Like it's amazing that she's actually got this nutrition line off the floor because usually with things like that, she'd sit on it for six years and then decide that- Tinkering and tinkering. Tinkering and tinkering to try and make it better. But she, I mean, look, she spent a long time on it as it is. It's not trying to be a shameless plug for it. It's just literally the type of personality she is where other people, for them, it's good enough to get in six months into it and they'll just say, oh, this is close enough and I'll review it as I go along. So if I bring it out and people aren't happy with it. So there are types of personalities like that as there are with dogs. Mm -hmm. So when you were talking about before the concept of engagement, that really had me thinking like that opened up some thoughts that I've had earlier on, not so much today, but it really reinvoked some old thinking. I know that I overuse this, but I'm still very fond of the saying, it's not what we think and feel, it's what the dog thinks and feels. And that's why, a discussion like what you had before is very important for people to start considering because I don't think that people look beyond what they hear on the internet sometimes. Like Mm. they hear the buzzword of the day and they think, oh, yeah, that's a great word and everybody's using it. Mm. And it really encapsulates my session with the dog. But does it? Mm. Have we given that true thought to how the dog is thinking and feeling? Do you know your dog enough? As Socrates would say, know thyself. We've said on this podcast so many times, know thy dog. Mm. And that's an important gap that is often missing in a training session. Like how many people really could say they know their dog, like Mm. really know their dog and know what their dog is thinking and feeling on any given day. 
you and I were having a coffee this morning and we were talking about the difference between Macho and Randy, mm-hmm. as we've often done. And you've you've expressed your thoughts on the differences between Remco and Val. Mm-hmm. When, yeah, they're really different dogs. Yeah, really different dogs. And Macho and Randy are much the same. Like, Macho loves to cuddle. He loves time. Like, he stares deeply into your eyes. And, you know, like, I can't walk back inside after my nightly checks on the kennels without Macho standing on the top of, of his cage and he just stares deeply into me, and I, all I have to do is just rub his face because if I don't do that, he'll jump around the pen and go yeah, crazy. Yeah. Where Randy will basically – all I have to do with Randy is boop him on the nose. Yeah, yeah. No, that's enough for Randy. Yeah. Randy, if I'm in the yard, Randy will come over and he'll be with me for a second where Macho will literally pour himself like wine into a cup. You know, you'll try and fit every curve of the space that he can take up. Yeah. Completely different dogs. Yeah. And I think that when you're doing training to understand what that is and where the dog's motivations lies. So for Randy, he doesn't need too much of me. He Mm. can externalize something. He can have something from me and go away where Macho really needs to engage. And I think it's really important for people to actually understand and conceptualize the holistic side of that. Mm. And I know holistic is a buzzword as well. You know, like there's a lots of buzzwords that we've used in the show, but that really does bring you back. I think it's really, really important what you just said before. I could feel the concrete mixer in my head starting to stir up and Mm. things starting to get tossed around because that's really deep. I think as well, like to what you said then about every dog being different and they're different in different contexts as well. So Remy, for example, is he's all or nothing. Mm. So at home- Same with Randy. Yeah. We lead really separate lives at home, Yeah, right? I, I talk about it all the time. I often don't know where he is. My house is four stories, a townhouse, right? So it's mm. like tiny little four stories. He's often, you know, I don't know where he is. He's often, he, he spends a lot of time on the top floor. He thinks that's his bedroom. It is a spare bedroom. There's a bed up there that he spends most of his time on, but he never follows me around beyond thinking we're going to do something. So, you know, every night after he has a, he has his dinner, I take them outside to, to piss and whatever, right? So as soon as he has his dinner, he starts engaging with me and is like, hey, it's time to do the thing that, you know, the pattern says this is what's going to happen. But throughout the day, he could give two shits about me. He's just that kind of dog. Mm. In the morning, he needs to be acknowledged and we spend sort of five minutes together. Normally what he does, he does what, like the big flat head press, you know, he, he'll push and like basically try and drive you into the floor with the top of his head. He pushes that into you and that's like his sort of good morning, acknowledge we're together, we're bros, but he doesn't follow me around. Mm. He doesn't want to sit with me on the couch. If you go and sit with Remy on the couch, he gets up and leaves. He's like, no, I want to be by myself. I'm not, I'm not the kind of dog that wants to be cuddled. And then every now and again, that sort of changes, but it's not that he ever wants to be cuddled. It's that he feels like if something arouses him, because he knows he's not allowed to just go buck wild in the house. That's when he'll come over and start sort of crying at me and mouthing at me. Like you, you got to take me out. Like, Mm. and that, like in, that's the difference between, I think dogs that, you know, we say, don't let the dog push you around, don't let the dog dictate the session and that kind of stuff. Mm. I think that's very much where that gets thrown out the window when my adult Malinois, who I train with all the time and he like knows the routine and knows everything, when he needs an out of routine session, I fucking give it to him because otherwise that energy is going somewhere. Yeah, but that's no thy dog. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean, right? Yeah. So that's uh, not ruining the dog and that's not- No, no, that's that's making sure my house doesn't get exactly destroyed. Exactly, right. right? Mm. And like that goes contrary to the blanket advice that we give mm. when we say to people, oh, you know, don't let the dog dictate the start and end of the session because then everything's on their terms. You need to open, you open the window of opportunity, you close the window of opportunity and then therefore, you know, at their corner, at the 
the edge of the trial field, you can open the window and the dog has to work when you say. And if you start letting the dog determine when he's going to work and all that kind of stuff, yeah, like all the pitfalls that we know mm. and we espouse, then when people are over at my house and the dog starts like, looks at me, starts whining, walks over and starts spinning around in circles. And I'm like, oh, I've got to go. I'll be back in 10 minutes. I've got to go put him on the mill or I've got to go let him play tug or I've got to go choke the ball. Yeah, whatever i got to do. That happens once or twice a week. Mm. And it's because, you know, something has triggered him where he's like, hey, I've spooled myself up by accident. This has to go somewhere. I can't calm myself down. I need your help. Yeah. Right. I need you to take me out and and do something with me to get rid of this, this state of mind that I've accidentally got myself into. Right. He's five now. At five years old, I trust him to do that when it's needed and not then start trying to manipulate me. Right. He's still a dog. He's still going to try and find his advantage. He's still going to push it sometimes, but I can read in him when there's no, there's no calming this down. I have to go and do something with him because that manic energy, like he's just remembered he's a Malinois, not a, not a Labrador, right? That manic energy has to go somewhere. And if I don't put it somewhere, it will spill somewhere I don't necessarily want it to be, mm. right? And it'll be that he'll get one of his chew toys and he'll start throwing it. That's what Remy does. He'll he'll get like a Kong or something like that that he is allowed to just normally have in the house. Like I don't play with the Kong and he'll take it to the st- top of the stairs and throw it down the stairs so that he can run down. Yeah, you know, bounces irregularly. He'll start retrieving it for himself. It's his lightning rod. Yeah, mm. he'll start retrieving it for himself. He'll start throwing it. He'll start bouncing it off of like he'll he develops like a little circuit. I've put video of it on Instagram because it's funny when it happens. Although mm. it's a headache, but like he'll start sprinting and bouncing couch to couch, like and basically running like the Matrix on the wall because he can get the traction off of the couch yes. and go around in circles, which well, like all dogs do. Mm. But it's rare for him to do that, and it's uh, the only reason that happens is because I've missed the signals of him saying, "Hey, I need this," right? So that's like in the house, I have very little engagement with Remy. We hardly acknowledge each other. He doesn't want to be pat by me mm. beyond what he gets in the morning. He gets the like, you know, he gets his couple of cuddles, like it's five, 10 minutes. Usually I do some stretching with him. Like I lay him on the floor. He loves that. And that's it. We're done for the day. But when we're working, it's a hundred percent engagement. Mm. Like it is, you take your eyes off me and fuck like, fuck you, we're done. Yep. Right? Like he did, the second I disengaged from the dog, he's like, fuck you. Like, I can't believe he did that to me. Well, I, I'm out of the session. I'm over here. So I have to manage that and like train together. And it becomes mm-hmm. especially difficult when you're, you know, like lately when I was making all those reels and stuff, like setting up cameras. And that's one of the reasons I dislike training to make video to show people. Making video to review yourself is great, but making video to show people makes it really difficult to train for the dog and not the camera. Oh yeah. Like you, yeah, you got to like, make sure that you're doing it in a way where the camera captures what you're trying to do, but then that changes the way that you're trying to do it. Yeah. And you often miss things because you're like, if I'm going to give you that reinforcer, I need you facing this way. And even though you did the behavior perfectly, you weren't facing the right way for the camera to get it. So I'm not going to reinforce. Yeah. Those kind of bad decisions become fucking cues to the dog as well. Like I found that when, and we talked about this earlier when I was doing Dancing Bear with Ladybug, like she'd see me setting up the camera and that would be the start of a session, mm-hmm. you know, like she'd understand. So in some ways that was good, but it would start to spin off into other behaviours. Like mm-hmm. there would be alternate behaviours that I really didn't want to encourage her to do, such as jumping up on the bench and looking for the camera and all yeah. sorts. It was a spill out effect of a contingent that you didn't actually want to create, but unnecessarily was created in the session. Totally. Yeah. Mm. On that sort of engagement, Remy, very separate from me 
at home, but a hundred percent engaged with me during the session and expects that from me also. Mm. Valerie's the opposite. She's my shadow. She's always under my feet, yeah. but rarely with me. She's physically present with me, right? Like she's physically there, yeah. but she's very often mentally somewhere else. Like mm. she's chasing dust and she's doing- She's got a butterfly wandering through her yeah. mind. Yeah. She's doing Val stuff, mm. but she's doing Val stuff within two feet of me. But see, you know that. Yeah. You know thy dog. Yeah, yeah, totally. But that's the mm. thing. So like the template, like when you listen and say, well, this is how Pat treats his dog- well, no, I treat two different dogs totally different and they, they both get what they need. They get what they want essentially mm. to fulfill them and have them fit into the house. Yep. While they fulfill you. Yeah. Like Valerie is never apart from me. Yep. Like when I go to the toilet, she waits at the door. She follows me everywhere in the house. She's always in the same room as me. No matter where I go, she always follows me around. And a lot of the time I would say, you know, when people say that I, and they're like, oh, it's loyalty and whatever, I, you know, I often say to people, oh, it's a... It's a lot of dependency you sort of got going on there, you know, like it's, mm. it's not always desirable. And certainly with her, it's never an issue for me. She doesn't have separation issues. She's fine at home by herself. Like it's fine. But when she's home, that's just how she is. She's like, you're me and you go everywhere together, mm. but we're very rarely connected. We're just physically present together mm. because she's so crazy and she's always chasing dust and she's always on the go. She entertains herself so easily and readily that we're rarely ever very connected, me and Valerie. We're physically together, but very rarely are we. do we have real engagement, right? Mm. And I can bring that engagement in with the, a toy or whatever. I can like get the session going and go like, hey, you're working for this. And she'll go, oh, cool. Like I'm happy to drop my other stuff and do, you know, like oh, I'm happy to stop chasing dust and butterflies in order to work for a ball. But then the second I stop paying attention to her and break that engagement, she's like straight back to the butterflies. Mm. Cause he's like, it doesn't even have to change gears. She's just like straight back to that. And she severs and reconnects that emotional connection of the session, that engagement. She severs and reconnects that a thousand times a second, right? Like she's, she's vibrating at such a high frequency that she's like, you took your eyes off of me. I'll go do this. You want me back? I'm straight back. Right. No grudge, no problem. Like straight back at it. Whereas Remy's like, no, motherfucker. <laughs> like, <laughs> you gave me a timeout. I give you a timeout, mm. right? Like, I'm not coming back in. Of course he does when I call him. Like, he's a trained dog. He does what he's told. But I can see in him that he's like, no, that was an unfair move. You're not as committed to this as I need you to be, mm. right? That is not fair. And I think that maintaining that connection, especially when we're talking about engagement and people get the dog looking at him and that kind of stuff, is the space between repetitions becomes the hardest place to maintain engagement, right? Because when you're teaching the dog something, if you're luring, if you're shaping, you got to pay keen attention to the dog to capture the moments, right? That's where most people are pretty good. While the dog is doing or while you're teaching, most people maintain connection very, very well. Where I think it becomes hard is in the space between repetitions, between the click and asking for the next behavior is where it can be hard to maintain that connection with the dog in true engagement where the dog knows we're together, we're doing this together. You're not breaking away from me. You're not worried about something else. And I think that's especially difficult training with food, mm. right? Because the dog's eating. And, and, and if you've got a fast eater and you're feeding hot dogs and they're just like clunk, 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 and they're gone and they're ready to go again, it's very easy. But I think, you know, if you're feeding kibble, which we encourage people to do, if that's what you're trained with, right? Like whatever you, yeah, I still encourage people that whatever your dog eats is what you should train with if you're going to train with food. Mm. Sometimes that can be a fuck around. Sometimes the dog 
like has to stop and eat and then it's falling out of their mouth and you've got to give them time to reset. And that's where it can be. Now the dog is engaged with the food and is doing that while you're standing there like a, you know, like a totem pole wondering like, when are you done with that? When mm. is it reasonable for me to give you the next? When have you stopped sniffing the ground, looking for where the spill off of the food went? Yeah. And then every dog's going to be different on that because some dogs are going to look at you. Some dogs are going to go like, look straight at you and go, I'm done. Other dogs will get straight back to the work if they know exactly what it is. That's an interesting concept. Just that alone, like watching the behavior of dogs, like as you said, you know, some dogs will eat and they'll they'll spill crumbs on the floor and then they're engaged in that, Mm. you know, like they want to get down and find where every bit of it went. Yeah. And you can see the dog, like the dog has checked out of the session momentarily. Like it's gone, oh, hang on, there's other things I've got to do right now. And then when it's finally satisfied, like I can't smell any food, I must have picked it up. Like I've searched the area quite rigorously for the last 30 seconds. Then you can see the dog go, okay, continue. Yeah. Mm. And it's deciding whether that's okay or not, right? Mm. Like I think if you're going to deliver food in a way where that's likely to happen, then you have to remember to give the dog that time because it's when there's still crumbs or there potentially still is food on the floor and the dog's still looking for that and you give another command – now that's where there's like, you're going to introduce conflict where you don't need it because the dog's going to be like, but I'm not done. And you're telling me to do stuff. The only reason the dog's going to do what you're asking it to do is to earn the stuff you're going to give it. Mm. And if you don't let him finish what he's got, then he's going to be like, well, why would I do it? Right? Like why, if you're telling me to sit in order to earn food, there's still food on the floor. I've got to eat that food. Now, of course he'll do it and you can use pressure. You could use negative reinforcement and compel him into it. And, and before you would call a dog finished, you need to be able to do that, mm. right? You need to be able to like mid reinforcement, tell him to do something But that else. won't happen on a trial field anyway, because there is no food in your hand. Exactly. You're not, dro- you're not dropping food on the ground. Exactly. But I mean, developing that neural pathway is going to help with your out and stuff like that. Mm. But in that moment, it's just going to add a layer of conflict and confusion and, and more often than not just create a slow shitty version of the behavior that you're looking to reinforce anyway mm. i think this becomes especially pertinent and i think there's a video i put into patreon a while ago about this almost certainly it was a session i recorded with someone talking about the hold because you know the hold is a funny one where if you're teaching that the way that you know i've encouraged people to do it in the past where bar taught me on a mill whatever you reduce the skinner box down to that the dog can do stuff with his face alone pretty quickly you can teach the hold mm. and you do teaching that for with food you give the dog the pipe, he holds it, you click, you give him food. Well, now you're asking him, I see a lot of people stand right there in front of the, the dog. The dog's eating and they're still holding the pipe. And mm. the dog's like, it's all, it's all mouth, right? Yep. They're like, everything that I'm doing the work with my mouth, I'm taking the reinforcer with my mouth. There's nothing else involved in this. And you get this messy version of the behavior. Yeah, it's opposites. The, like it's, yeah. it's, it's opposing. Yeah, the dog's mm. trying to do the behavior, but he's still also trying to eat. And then yep. the fix in that hold is very easy. You, you just take a couple of steps back and you drop the pipe. Like you have it behind your back or at your side or whatever, and you wait for the dog to finish eating. The dog looks at you and then you walk in. And the first step in reinforcement is those steps in. The dog yep. looks at you and goes, yeah, okay, that just engagement, there it is. That's the dopamine cycle. Yeah, that Mm. brings me closer. And when I come closer, I present the pipe and Mm. biting the pipe, it brings the reinforcer and you start another cycle. But so I think in that engagement piece to tie it all up is staying engaged with the dog while you're both doing stuff is probably pretty easy. Mm. Where I think I've had to narrow my focus and get better at is the space between repetitions, Mm. like getting really good at that. And And also, you know, I like to let my dog rest in sessions as well because, you know, it's not uncommon that if I'm not teaching something new, the the gameplay type session could go for 
you know, 20 minutes to 40 minutes. Like it's fine to train that long when we're just fucking around doing stuff. But every sort of five minutes ish, I'll throw the ball for my dog and he'll veer off and go and rest. And it's very seldom, depends on the heat really, but very seldom is it a physical rest. Mm. He's usually just sort of recharging his brain. You can see him sort of like, I've got to empty the RAM here, right? And I've got to put what we're working on into my sort of permanent storage. So he goes and sits down by himself for a minute. That is the hardest part to stay engaged because it looks a lot like the dog has checked out. And and for people who watch me do that, they were like, oh, he's checked out on you. And I'm like, no, not at all. He's still very much in this session. He's just in the rest recovery phase of the session. Yeah. And that is like the golden opportunity where he's over there and I'm like, now's the time to check my messages. And I hear, you can hear him bark, right? Like he'll often be, you know, he's five, 10 meters away sitting there with his ball recovering. If I get my phone out or if I disengage from him or if I start talking to anyone, he'll be like, oi, we're not done. Mm. Right, Like you, you hear him and he'll bark and he'll grab the ball and come running in. And like, that's where he'll like muzzle punch me with the ball and be like, we're not done. I'm just fucking recovering. Like we're not, this session isn't over. And that like severing those ties of engagement is I think where a lot of people lose their dog, right? Mm -hmm. That's where a lot of people, you're taking advice from someone else. You're having a conversation with someone else. You're taking in the environment. You're looking at your phone, whatever, you think the dog's over there doing his thing and he's no longer engaged with me, but he may very well be, but he's just in the recovery or the possession phase of the reinforcement that you've given him or whatever. He's still into it and he's looking at you. And if you break it away, he's like, dude, you just ruined the moment. Mm. Like we're not finished. I'm just having a rest. And that can, you know, cause issues where the dog doesn't want to rest. And then you do sort of really unfruitful training where yep. the dog's beyond his capacity to learn and be productive. And because he knows if I go over there and rest, you break the connection, you get your phone out, you talk to someone else. So I can't risk that happening. I have to go beyond that. And you develop a dog that just keeps working despite the fact that he's really not in the like mental headspace to do so. It's like overdoing something at the gym. Totally. Like if you're doing a, like an isolated exercise and you overdo it and you do more damage than you do good. Yeah, mm. totally. Exactly mm. the same thing. Yeah. I mean, the brain is a form of muscle anyway, even though it's comprised of fat. When we talk like about- Like most of my muscles. <laughs> yeah, certainly most of mine. <laughs> Fucking hell. But that's a concept that is often discussed when we use the term muscle memory. Yeah. And interesting what you're talking about there. I'm really intrigued what you're talking about. It's something that I think about a lot over the time, but I think you've expressed it very well and you've explained it very well. I used to use a lot of this in decoying work, especially what you were talking about with on holding the pipe. We used to primarily back tie dogs when we were teaching hold and barks. And, mm-hmm. you know, especially if you're working on your own and you didn't have a, or you didn't have a sufficient handler to be able to do the work with you. So we'd back tie the dog. For me, I used to shape the dogs a lot on my own. So primarily, if I could see the behavior that I wanted, I'd walk in, reward the dog yep. with a sleeve. However, if I'd start to see the dog cycling out of a behavior that I didn't want to, I could step away from the dog, yep. you know, and start incorporating a negative punishment to the dog. So I could literally communicate to the dog using my body primarily of just walking away and saying, no, that's not it, mate. That's not even close to it. So I'd walk away, create a little frustration with the dog. And then when you could see the dog just start to change that 5 to 10%, you could walk in and reward mm-hmm. the dog. And people would say, well, I didn't see much there. But if you're a skilled decoy, a skilled coach or whatever you're doing, you can see enough to mm. say that's enough for me to say the dog corrected himself. Like he tried something different right there and then. I do think really think that these concepts of knowing your dog really well 
is something that people really do need to take the time to get used to. Yeah. It's something that needs to be part of your analytical system earlier on with your puppy and so forth. Like who is this little puppy and who is this puppy turning into? And now who is this dog that I've got before me? Because like that book surrounded by idiots and it explains why the title became like that because certain characteristics of people think that they're surrounded by idiots because Mm. they feel that people don't think the same as them. And they're right. Mm. They don't. Certain characteristics of people don't think the same. As we've discovered through the conversation that you've just had then with your discussion about Remco versus Valerie and even mine in a limited space with Randy versus Macho, they don't think the same. And Mm. all four of those dogs don't think the same. They're somewhat different dogs. I know when Macho's with me, He's entirely with me. Like he's not with me and his head's full of butterflies. Like he's wondering how he can get closer to me. Funny concept between him and Randy. Randy is definitely dominant between the two of them. He's older. He's stronger. There's a lot of things between the two of the dogs, but it's not a dominance where he's constantly trying to beat him up or anything. They've had a few skirmishes, few minor ones. They're two entire males living predominantly together. We're very cautious of it and very mindful of it. So You know, we're not just being frivolous and carefree, as I would predict on the show. Something could happen, but the likelihood of it right now is minimised. We still separate, we feed separately, we do all the ready precautions. And plus, being in the experience that I have, I think that I've earned the right to make that assessment. So when the two of them are together and I'm out there, the interesting part of the relationship is Randy will take his toy or bone and he'll go and sit afar and Macho will grab his and he'll sit literally in my lap while he's chewing it. So Randy doesn't feel threatened by this. You know, like even though he has carte blanche to what he wants and, you know, like he lets Macho know if that's what I want, I'm going to take it. He doesn't feel the need or threaten. Like occasionally he'll walk over, come and check in with me and it's just like, boop my nose and then he'll go back. Mm -hmm. That's all he needs. Mm. And some people would look at that and say, why is that happening? I'm just saying, because that's what Randy needs to say, I'm still the king here, right? Yeah. And I acknowledge that every time. I never ignore him or tell him off or anything like that. Like it's always, it's just part of his system. And that creates like a harmonized backyard. That's where the two dogs can live in this harmonious bubble and they understand each other. And I even said, no, go away. I'm having time with Macho. Never happens. Like if he comes over, like sometimes Macho gets aroused by that and he starts mouthing at Randy, like he's mine. And I do tell Macho off for that Mm -hmm. because I think, no, that's not your place to do that. Yeah. You know, like, and that will create a problem between the two. And I let Randy see, I'm not talking about I crack him in the head or anything like that. Like nothing happens. I just say to him, oi, and that's enough for him to settle down. And he goes, oh yeah, right. Okay. Sorry. I'm not supposed to be doing this. And it's not that I'm trying to peg him down or keep him different or anything like that. Interesting talk, and I know I'm sort of jumping track slightly, but it's related. Interesting talk when Sapolsky and Huberman were talking in their podcast and they were talking about the effect of testosterone. Mm. And even in a situation like that where the domineering person, let's say, for example, somebody who's running a marathon, because I use this example, the person who won the marathon might have very little testosterone at the end of it because they didn't achieve the outcome that they expected to achieve. Whereas the person who came in, you know, 30th, because they outdid themselves, might have this enormous testosterone rush. Yeah, it's relative. Right. So I see that in Macho as well. Like he doesn't have much testosterone around Randy in normal situations, but I can see it when he's in singular situations and he gets big wins with things. I can see, you know, like the empowerment and the different way that he shapes his environment 
based on the experiences that he's having. So that didn't make much sense to me when I first heard it because I really didn't overanalyze it, but I listened to it again based on observations, you know, much about what Mm. you're talking about there. It brought me back to observing the dogs a little more closely. And I thought here is a situation where Macho is having a growth experience. Mm. Like for him in this individual moment, he's feeling big. Some of the times where I brought him into the shed with you, he's feeling big, Mm. you know, like it's giving him a big feeling. So Randy's not crushing him. He's not even trying to crush him. What they're doing is they're, and, and this is, where people get confused about this whole dogs in the household system. They're trying to create an order. Earlier on, we've discussed this whole concept. I don't want to terribly rehash it, but we have talked about the concept of what order means and you must have order in the environment or you've got chaos. You've got one or the other. So most species want order. They want to know how to live in order and have some form of construct. It's very unhealthy when you're having a chaotic environment Certainly as trainers, we've been invited into homes and families where we've had to evaluate these situations before where there is chaos, like there's complete chaos. And primarily that started because people weren't reading their dogs well enough. Yeah. Like you've just done an entire session talking about, we're using another buzzword, deep diving. When you're deep diving into being very analytical about who your dog is and what they're constructed of, like not only external, but internal as well. Mm. And it really does come back. I know I've used this term quite frequently, but it really does come back to know thy dog. Yeah, totally. It's a function that as trainers and as people in this industry, it's the one that makes us sigh with people all the time, like the pet dog market predominantly, which is the the most enriching market in in professional training. Yeah. You know, like if you're, if you're talking about getting into the industry, even though some people – turn their eyes and sigh and and really get upset about it. the pet dog market by far is the most lucrative because oh, sure. people don't know their dog well enough. Yeah. And what they're investing in you is they're saying, well, you know dogs. Yeah. That's true. We do know dogs. We don't know your dog entirely until we've spent some time with it. And that's where the establishment process has to come in. We need to go in there and sit down and talk to you and then look at the dog. Yeah. You know, there are a couple of things that go on. That's an area that always befuddles me is that trainers who don't really get to know somebody's dog. Yeah. They don't want to see the dog or they don't want to know that. And I mean, I've seen some people who call themselves behaviorists who do those sort of things. So they're either script writing or whatever they're doing, but they don't even see the dog. The dog never enters the room. That's the tricky part about online consultation. Yes. Yeah. And so, yeah, for the most part, I'm very comfortable doing online stuff in the sport dog and like general coaching of a trainer. I'm very comfortable doing that because I can look at videos of their sport dog doing stuff and come help with ideas. And when people just want to pick my brain about cases that they have and talk generally about dog training, I'm totally comfortable doing that. But when people are talking about their one dog, like I get just a pet dog owner that's found us through, you know, however they do and they get in contact with me, book a session, whatever. And they're talking about like specific in-home behavioral issues with their dog that can be really tricky to give advice because I'm relying on what they tell me for starters. Seldom would they tell you something inaccurate on purpose, but it very often is It's interpretation. It's what they see right there. Yeah. Because if they knew what the problem was, they wouldn't be having the problem. Mm. Right. Like, so that's kind of the, the issue that I find with that is it's very hard to ascertain really, you know, especially if it's a, uh, two two dog aggression case, like uh, two dogs in the house not getting along, like that kind of stuff. And for the most part, those kind of cases usually are, as you just said, it's order, right? But I think a lot of people 
don't acknowledge that you have to go with the natural order. Mm. Like if you want to create a new order, that's fine, right? Like how this is how things are going to go and it goes that way because I said so. And because I said so, that's just how it's going to be. I don't care about how you feel about it. You can ask, you can set that up with dogs, but you're going to have to maintain that and put the work into maintaining that every day. Mm. Whereas if you let the natural order align and you can be happy with that, then that's all you have to do is fit within that. To give a practical example, like I have to feed Valerie before I feed Remy. It has to be done or else there'll be fucking carnage in my house. And because she like, she is more dominant than him. She cares more about food. And if I put food down in front of him and then put food down in front of her, she's like, that's not right. Yeah, I get it. That's not fair to me. This is important to me. It's not important to him. I'll take his, right? And then he doesn't want his food taken, but also isn't going to – it's not worth the fight over him. Mm. And, but now she has to show to him they made a mistake. You know, she will show to him that's Pat's error. You're paying the consequence. Can I just right? interrupt there for a second? Because yeah. that, that's an important point. If I researched archives of, of the show, I'm sure I brought this up before, but I remember Robert Holmes, who is a veterinary behaviorist, and he used to lecture on all the NDTF in Melbourne. And we used to spend a lot of time chatting and riffing about things. And I remember him talking to a group of students one day. Maybe he said it before and I never heard it or I never really opened myself up to it. But one day he was talking about this concept of how people create so much chaos in their home because primarily what they're doing is they're rewarding the underdog in, totally. in front of the dominant dog. totally, And they're creating this great big fucking cataclysmic vacuum you think you're doing the right thing. And predominantly that was the advice that we used to give was like, tell the older dog off. It's like that older sibling thing. You're older, you should know better. Mm-hmm. And that resent built, yeah. like resent built in me towards my sister over years, because that was said to me, you're the oldest, you should know better. And I used to get punished over it where I was the oldest and the strongest and my sibling was causing the problems, yeah. you know, and that should never have been the punishment case, but that's what parents thought to do yeah, at the yeah. time. They didn't sit there, look at the situation and go, okay, you're being a pain and your older brother or older sister or older sibling, they're right. You need to go to your room and you need to have a time out. Yeah. So a lot of dogs are holding this and this is becoming lightning in a jar for them. If you're going to capture lightning in a jar, you better make sure your fucking jar is strong enough to hold it. Mm. Because if it bursts, it's not only you've got glass fragments, but you've got lightning escaped again. Yeah. So that's the problem with a lot of these situations is we aren't analysing this situation well enough. We're doing the concept of what the community told us with the information they knew at the time. But, you know, as we've evolved and as thinking has gotten more integral around these basis, we're now seeing it as a different viewpoint and saying, well, different lens is the new buzzword that people are using now. The lens is the new word. Right, right. Okay, so we're seeing it through a new lens. We're seeing it in new interpretation. And now we can see that what we thought was right isn't right anymore. Yeah, and I think, you know, not obeying that, you can manage it via training. If for whatever reason I wanted to feed Remy first, in this very specific example, Mm. I can tell Val, don't do it. Like I can say to her, don't try and get his food. You sit right there, you wait, and I'll give to yours. But you won't fix that. And it will happen because I told her to do it and she has the level of training to do it, Mm. but she's still going to get the shits about it. Yeah. And I can just totally bypass that altogether by just going like, here's your food, then going to Remy, here's your food. And they're both very happy doing that. And and the natural order comes in and it, it switches when we go out side, if I try and give her the ball in front of him, she's like, are you fucking crazy? I'm not taking that. In the same way that 
he won't take the food in the house in front of her. Yeah. He's like, are you fucking crazy? You're going to get me bashed. I'm not, I'm not doing that. Yeah. You feed it to her and then you give it to me and everybody stays happy. Mm. Say, it, it flips when we're outside. She's like, no, no, I don't, I'm not even going to look at the ball when we're out here because he'll kill me to get it. Right. Like it's, and they know that they fit their level. And it's very often when people are like, no, I'm the fucking person. You'll do what I say. Now I could tell her to take the ball. I say, you take it and she will, but then she'll be like, you're putting me in danger. And I can tell him not to chase her, but it's going to fuck up that natural order. Like I can create an artificial order. I'm going to have to stay on top of that. And they're going to grow to resent each other and they're going to get it. That's how the fight will eventually happen when I'm not there mm-hmm. to intervene. It'll be like, here's, here's me getting back at you for the last six weeks of getting treated the way you shouldn't. Whereas if you treat them the way that they want to, it provided that it's safe and reasonable to do so, right? That's where most in-home dog fight come when the two dogs are too evenly matched and you, one isn't so clearly yeah. like more dominant than the other in a certain situation. They constantly tussle for it. That's why like, you know, I think we've talked about this before. My brother, who was 10 years older than me, we never had tussles because he could just smash my head in, right? Mm. Like he's 10 years older than me when we're at home. When I'm 10 and he's 20, there's never going to be a like – a wrestling argument because you yep. just pummel me. <laughs> but when you see brothers who are like a year apart, that's where you get, they're constantly at each other. They're constantly grappling. They're constantly fighting because there's a chance you could win, mm. right? They're not so, they're pretty evenly matched. And that's the same with dogs in the house when their desire to fit into the structure, make the order to look one way over another is so evenly matched. That's when, you know, sometimes it is management forever. You're going to have to, use your obedience or, you know, that kind of stuff, or those two dogs can just be destined never to live together. Mm. Yeah. Values and principles are very, it can be a bit of a powder keg sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like when we talk about canine behavior, that's an interesting concept on itself, but you throw in the mix of human behavior on top of that, not just in this industry, but even in workplaces, you know, like I get to evaluate human behavior on a regular basis. I have to employ people on that as well. Mm-hmm. I have to sit down and go through resumes and, and other staff here do as well. But when we're employing, especially when we're employing people in management positions, we have to sometimes go with best guesses and then you'll cycle through resumes and reviews of how this person performed in other workplaces. Sometimes it's like throwing a cat amongst the pigeons sometimes. It's really interesting to see how people behave with certain values and and what they believe is the right behavior to do at the time. Yeah, yeah. And I think you nailed it well before when you said it's not easy. You know, like if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. I remember one day during the Christmas, um, somebody actually questioned me, like, what do you do? And I thought, well, that's a bit of an arbitrary question, but they were asking me because everything was busy, COVID sort of happens and people don't sort of see me doing like a lot of hands-on stuff sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, that's a good question. And I'm glad you asked it because now I can tell you what I do. And I said, you guys work like 38 hours a week, roughly, unless you're part-time and you're probably, you're in here doing, you know, between 20 and whatever hours. I said, I'm lucky to get out of here before 60 hours. And a lot of that time is managing you guys and keeping the workflow going on and and wondering why this has been done like that and trying to recorrect everything all the time. But in between that, there's other things that I've got to go and, and do. By the end of it, they said to me, oh, I don't want your job. And I said, nobody does. When they think about it and think about, oh, you know, you get more money, you get more this, but then they realize, oh, but your free time is sucked up and everything like that. So principles and values are very, 
it can be very confusing to try and work through in dogs and in people. It's a different, it's a difficult concept. And, and as I said before, it's a making sure that you actually are aware of where the minds are and not fucking stepping on them and exploding. In a, a job I had a lifetime ago, I had a similar sort of conversation and I use this analogy that I a hundred percent stole, but it's, you know, you get like the glass jar yep. and you can put a bunch of big rocks in yeah, it yeah, and that's, it's full. Yep. And then you can put littler rocks and jiggle those around and it's full. And then the last thing you can put is like the sand and yeah. that fills up all the space. When I was running a crew of guys and for a long time looked like I was doing nothing, I was like, I'm that sand, right? Because I have to fill all the spaces that exactly. aren't, aren't full. Like I have to manage all the bits and pieces. None of them are especially hard mm-hmm. and none of them are especially time consuming, but I have to do them all. Right, and they're not allocatable tasks. If they were allocatable tasks, you would be doing them. But I have to be everywhere and know everything that's going on all at once, which is somewhat overwhelming. And that's why it's a very hard management role. It's not physically hard, not in the fucking slightest. I'm sitting here at a desk, but I'd need to be across so many different things and know Mm. what's going on. Whereas you just have to focus on your one role. Well, primarily that's why I had to give up the ISCP role is because the ICP role was a big rock that was trying to jam into my my glass of sand. Yeah. That was the issue was this is an external thing and it's just not fitting into the internal thing anymore. Like at the start it was, you know, there was space for it. The requirements weren't as heavy as they started to increase, but that happens to a lot of people in workplaces. Yeah. And primarily what one thing does, and it ties in with exactly what you started this entire conversation around it's a big problem for all of us is letting your pride get in the way Mm. or your ignorance. Sometimes it can be both. There's a lot of things that can be cross section there, pride, ignorance, ego. There's a lot of things that mix a bad cake in that entire process. Let's talk about ignorance. Sometimes you don't know that you're being overwhelmed. Sometimes that you don't know that you've taken on too much. It looks like fun and it sort of ties you in, but it really isn't because you don't see that it's poisoning the well, so to speak. Whereas sometimes you'll get egotistical about it and say, no, I don't want to give this up. I don't want anybody else to take this. I was the first Australian on there. I don't want anyone else to do it. You know, and there's lots of things that go through your head. But when sensibility finally comes in and dawns on you and thinks, dude, you are literally putting poison into your own water, Mm. you know, like you're literally poisoning yourself. You're unhappy. You're not sleeping well. You can't fucking keep up with the demands. You're letting everybody down, you know, and that's what I was doing. I was letting some of my professional workplace down. I was letting the ICP down. More importantly, I was letting myself down. Mm. My integrity was, for myself, was really being questioned. So you have to think about these things. That same thing applies to when you're on the field with your dog as well. Your early conversation really, a lot of this stirred up in me because I'm thinking, not only have I done this in dog training where I pulled the phone out at the wrong time, but I did it with Narelle the other day mm. and we were having a conversation. The phone buzzed in my pocket. I pulled it out and I looked at it. And when I looked at her, she was back working on her computer mm. and I said, I'll continue. And she said, Oh no, you're busy. What I said to her was this person who just buzzed me with a meme is more important than yeah. the conversation that you and I were having. Yeah. So the minute you said that, that's what conjured up in my head. Yeah, I just right, thought yeah. I fucked up with my wife the other day. Like yeah, I did well, something- mate, we all do it and we're conditioned to it. So, like, that's the thing. Like, I think things get especially difficult for a lot of dog trainers. It's why, you know, you see a lot of dog trainers on Facebook, like mad conspiracy theorists and stuff like that, is because we know 
behavior and the science behind it that you can see when other people are doing stuff. Yeah. Right. Like you can see, especially, yeah, with all the worldwide bullshit going on and the conditioning that you see in process and yeah, the manipulation absolutely. and the, the type of stuff. That's why so many dog trainers like a tinfoil hat wearers because they're like, no, no, like you don't see what's happening to you because it's being done so well. And the only reason I see it is because like, I understand the process because I do this to dogs. Mm. Right. But anyway, I think that that's one of the big things that you were conditioned to the idea of when the phone goes off, like you pull it out and you have a look and it, that it's very often not even cognitive in that when you're having a conversation with someone, you could be a hundred percent engrossed in that conversation. You're in it. It's the most important thing that you can imagine right there and then, Mm. but that noise goes off in your pocket or you feel that vibration and it's a conditioned response that you get the phone out and you sever that connection that you have with that other person quite unintentionally but it is severed nonetheless. Mm-hmm. And they they don't get – they would probably do the same to you in many instances, but they didn't get the right trigger, right? And so they're, they're left there like, oh, okay, I guess I'll go fuck myself, right? Mm-hmm. While you pull your phone out and you look at that. And then, you know, then you can go down the rabbit hole of your phone. You, you can completely forget about the person or you can be like, oh, that's not important. I'm going back to what I was doing and it's too late. I've broken that connection. I've disengaged from that conversation, mm-hmm. which for me, you know, to sort of tie it in a bow – that's why I, I'm terrible at writing back to people. That's why, you know, if you've messaged me and you haven't got anything back, it's it's very often I'm not ignoring you. It's, I mean, some of you I am, but <laughs> but very often it's just that it, it got buried and like I was talking to someone else at the time. And then when I go into my messages, there's 40 messages at, from different people. And the time that I have allocated to do that, I can only get through so many. And it, like, I'm, I'm much less connected to people around the world, but I'm much more connected to the people that I'm with. And, yep. and I've taken that as a priority for myself and I'm happy with it. You can't have it all. Like there's a downside to it for sure. And that's a loss of connection to people that I have around the world because I'm no longer able to go and see those people. I will eventually like that'll come back. What I am very connected to is the people that I'm with and, and right here, right now. Yeah. And I'm Mm. trying really hard to do that to the point where like now I don't know how sustainable this is going to be because you know, it's already hit some roadblocks. I've missed some stuff. Like, you know, you messaged me last night about what time we're going to start today. And I didn't write back to you until today because now I don't take my phone into my bedroom. Yep. So I, my phone, it charges on the, in the hallway outside. It goes on there and I don't see that until I get up in the morning. Yep. I yeah. know you well enough to know that. Yeah. Yeah. If- but so, you know, like it, it means you miss a lot of stuff and you're not as connected to everything that's going on, but me and my wife get in bed and we talk to each other instead of both of us staring at our phones for the 20 minute before you go to bed. You know what I mean? We talk to each other instead of just like, we decompress that way rather than decompressing just fucking endless scrolling. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's a good concept in Star Wars when Luke and Yoda are working together. Yoda is trying to teach Luke the ways of the force and he's got him doing a handstand one hand and trying to lift rocks and do all these sort of things. And Luke is complaining it's too difficult. And Yoda effectively turns to him and says, the problem with you is that you're always thinking of the past and of the future, not of the present. Mm. And I think that's something that we're often guilty of regularly. And it's something that is a concept that, like I can see myself, and I did this the other day, I was writing an email and then something popped into my mind. And I thought, no, I've got to stop doing this and go and do that. And I thought, no, dude, you've got to finish this email. You started this for a reason. You've got to see it through. And that's the concept of how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time, Mm. you know, and that's why I say to so many of my own workforce is when you're getting overwhelmed with things, uh, we've got a 
a young girl that we've taken on who's been with us forever, but she's our operations manager, Courtney, and she's amazing. She's a, an absolute workhorse, does an incredible job, but it can get overwhelming for her sometimes. You know, we had a good chat the other day and I just said to her, I told, I told her that story about how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time. And I said, that's what you got to do. You yeah. can't fit more in your mouth than what your mouth is capable of taking. So start on the job. And I said, if you're overwhelmed with anything, like communicate, mm. express it to us and say, there is too much going on. And there's always too much going on in this company. It's busy. It's There's a lot of evolution happening. There's new things. There's new concepts. There's new people coming in. There's lots going on. So it can overwhelm you quickly and you can feel very burned out by it. But the burnout happens because you try and it, it, it effectively, it's like when you're watching people doing those hot dog eating contests and they're trying to ram yeah. hot dogs into their mouth as fast as they can. And some people are literally choking and gagging and spewing on stage yeah. because they can't do more than what their body was really designed for. Some yeah. people can, you know, there are, I watched this lady swallowing all these things the, the other day. Wasn't that little it? Japanese chick is the, the champion hot dog. Eater. Well, they, they don't they don't chew. They just literally put it in their mouth and swallow. You yeah. know, like they have a concept and a technique, but they still do it one gulp at a time. Yeah, yeah. You know, like the concept is is very much there. So that does sit with me, and I do think I do deep think a lot on those type of concepts. I know this is getting into human behavior, but it's still very relatable to dog behavior as well. Because we can get very distracted very easy. We can think of things that are irrelevant, like you said, picking out the phone. But to the dog, it's not. Yeah. That had an entirely different concept altogether. And the same thing, the way that I behave at work can have a complete different flow and effect with staff. Fundamentally, when you talked about tying it all in before, I believe that where it really comes together is where you communicate it more effectively. Mm in either your words or in the dog's case, your actions, Mm -hmm. you know, things start to conceptualize easier between the two of you because you can see where the other person's coming from. It's very, very easy to create gray in conversation, whether that be through your canine or through your human spouse or work colleague or child or whoever it is, because you've explained yourself poorly, or maybe they explain themselves poorly and things got in the way of being able to interpret and communicate more effectively. But fundamentally getting down to it, that's what we've got to look to do is find the commonality between the two of you. Like how do I workshop this in a better way that both of us are going to profit from it? Yeah, totally. Mm. Before we wind up, I wanted to finish with this and not start with it. And I really didn't want to make this a podcast where I started bawling. So, but I did want to talk about my cousin Dawn. She's not my grandmother and she's not my mum or anyone. She was my cousin. I'm not going to talk about it long because I will get emotional. I really don't want to do it. But I just want to thank everybody for their really heartfelt reach out to me. Dawn was a very important person to me in in most of my life. She was an absolute complete bedrock for me. Mm -hmm. Talking about the critical period of socialization, I think if I didn't have Dawn in my life, my outcome about who I am and what I would have been come would have been vastly different. I was angry as a child. There were a lot of things going wrong for me and Dawn was the beacon of light that kept me on the right path. She was the probably the kindest person I've ever met in my life. And when people read things like that, they probably think, yeah, that's what you would say because she's in your life. But still to this day, I haven't found anybody who was as kind and considerate as Dawn. She was a very staunch Christian person. She lived the Christian life completely to code as well. She wasn't crazed about it. She didn't try and preach it to people and push them in there. She thought, if that's what you want, that's what you'll find, and I'm happy to talk to you about it. 
Dawn was interested in people all the time. For example, if you rang her up, I often did. You know, there were times where I was driving around in between jobs and it was a good time for me to be connected to her. So I'd ring her and she'd always answer the phone with enthusiasm every time. Like she'd say, well, isn't this special that you rang me up every single time? Or, hello, darling. Like there was always song in her voice, even Mm -hmm. at 92 years of age. Every single time you'd ring her up, there was, she was sprightly, she was enthusiastic. It's a missing thing that you see in in people these days. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes when you ring people on the, these days, it's like, "Eh, hey. Yeah, you. Yeah, you. But Dawn, there was this melody in her tone. She always made me feel valued and special. And she corrected a lot of things, a lot of the imbalance that was happening for me. And I remember one of the lessons that she taught me very earlier on in life, and it was a biblical quote that she said, what happened was a kid at school hit me, like punched me in the face. And for me, I have a terrible trait of vengeance. And it's something that I battle with regularly. It's it's part of my dark wolf. But when people wrong me, I almost give up everything to want to enact vengeance against that person. It was always Dawn that kept me at bay, like kept that wolf at bay. Because when that kid hit me and he punched me in the eye, I remember his name was David and he, he punched me in the eye. It was fucking David. I can remember this clearly. Grade two it was. And he punched me in the eye and, uh, and he ran, he ran for it. Motherfucker. Yeah. Motherfucker. I literally wanted to destroy him. All I could think of was in, in acting revenge against him. And I came home, I was at my nan's cause Dawn used to live with my nan. She sat down with me and she said, what's wrong, darling? And I said, I told her the story. I said what David did and, and how I wanted telling her about this plan that I had to trap him so I could get him. <laughs> and uh, I had it all mapped out. You yeah. know, I knew where I was going to get him and how it was going to go down. And she said, darling, this is a really terrible idea. And she said, very frequently disappointed in you. And she said, but I am about this. She said, because this is not going to end well for you and this will hurt you more than you think. And she said, there's a quote that I want you to know. No, sorry. No, I knew the quote in the Bible and the quote was do unto others as they would have them do unto you. But yeah. I misinterpreted it as a kid. <laughs> now now it's it's coming back to me. So when I was having this conversation. You were like, this motherfucker punched me, I'm punching exactly. him back. You that, were in the eye for an eye. You were in the Old Testament. That's right. That's, yeah, yeah. that's exactly what I was thinking. So when I sat down with Dawn, she was talking to me. That's why she said I was, she was disappointed because I said to her, the Bible says if somebody does something to you, you, should, you can do it back to them. Yeah. And she said, that's not how it goes. She said, the quote is, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, which means that if you want people to treat you badly, that's because you've treated them badly in the first place. So if you want that sort of treatment to come back at you, that's the sort of treatment that you do to other people. So she said, don't do things to people that are only going to escalate and make things worse. You know, her name was Dawn. And that dawned on me, Mm. you know, like that made me think of things and it still does to this day. Like when that demon does overtake me sometimes and I'm thinking, you know, like I really need to fucking double down on enacting revenge. I think about those words and it really breaks through Mm. the feelings that I'm having at that point in time. It has really saved me from making some terrible mistakes in my life. And it's because of her that I have that wisdom to be a better person. So All in all, I just want to express that if you've got a person like that in your life, never, ever take them for granted. Always make sure that they do know how special they are and how loved they are. For me, that was something that I feel very fortunate about, that I was able to tell her that 
before she passed is that I always let her know how special she was to me. So before I start bawling, I'm going to end it there. It's a beautiful tribute, mate. Yeah. Let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. That's it, guys, for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, pull your earbud out and put it into... Earbud. 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 Pull your earbud out and stick it in a stranger's ear. Yep. You can't get COVID through the ears, I don't I don't think. Well, they'll invent a way to do it. Yeah. Maybe yeah. you can. I'm not a doctor. I don't know fucking... I don't know anything. <laughs> just do it anyway. Yep. Uh, be like, hey, just write it on toilet walls... Get it written in the sky. Hey, everyone, listen to the canine paradigm. We really need somebody. We really need that degree of separation from Joe Rogan. We need we, Joe Rogan keeps putting up a picture of his golden retriever all the time. He needs to talk to the canine paradigm. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be interesting to be on Joe. Yeah. Or have him on us. I don't know if that'd fly. Why? know that he would go on somebody else's podcast yeah although he does with other comedians but i think yeah we, we could be in there give him some hot tips about marshall yep. marshmallow yeah just tell joe that he should have us on spread <laughs> spread the word <laughs> <laughs> if you want to support the show the best way to do that is jump into patreon probably by the time you're listening to this patreon will have seen that there's a new thing i just put in there you know i had a, a bunch of Student groups ask the similar questions. Same thing come up. It's obviously in the zeitgeist. So I just made you guys a video. I just filmed it yesterday. So probably by the time you're hearing this podcast, it's probably in the Patreon. So check that out. There's constantly, you know, bits and pieces trickling into there as well as a live stream once a month um, that I do and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, another way you can really support the show is Teespring. Jump into Teespring, get yourself some cool merch. Teespring's a funny one. I got feedback the other day that if you order two things, it charges you shipping twice and stuff like that. Well, the reason that is is because it's different printing. Yeah. And it comes from different places. It comes from different places. Yeah. I know that does seem like fuckery and you think, oh, well, isn't it the same factory? But sometimes it's not. Sometimes there's different factories that have them set up. So, yeah. yeah. I'm guessing that's how Teespring make their money as well. But. Well, like I, I think it's fees. just a bunch of little independent printers that, yeah. that print off. But anyway, we get a few bucks per shirt. So get yourself some cool merch and help goes into our funds of paying our bills, same yep. as the Patreon. If you want to get in contact with us, mm-hmm. you should jump into the Facebook discussion group. That's a great way to stay in the loop on what's going on, ask questions about the show, be kind to people in there. Uh, and if you have some specific uh, questions or information, feedback for us, you can choose an email. We are info at the canineparadigm.com. Goodbye.